0: I once uh, interviewed Raleigh Washington, whom some of you may know, he was the African-American pastor who founded Rock of Our Salvation EV Free Church in Chicago, which at the time was one of the very first uh, evangelically-oriented churches in the country to take seriously racial reconciliation. And Raleigh told this story, and I'm gonna give it to you just in his own words. Quote, we sent out a ministry team to the Midwest in two vans. One leader was a a young white volunteer named Jennifer, and in Jennifer's van, there happened to be a young black believer named Denise. Denise has a forceful personality. To make a long story short, Denise submarined the entire trip. I mean, she torpedoed it. When they returned home, I learned that Jennifer was deeply hurt by what Denise had done. So I called them both into my office. And after listening to both sides, it was obvious that Jennifer had made some mistakes, but was at most 10% at fault. Denise was mainly responsible for this fiasco. So they tried to reconcile their differences, but they couldn't. So later, I, I told Jennifer, we who are strong must bear with the weaknesses of those who are not so strong. Denise is a young believer, you are more mature. So you must go and ask Denise for forgiveness for your part. Jennifer broke down and wept. But eventually she did go and ask Denise for forgiveness. About three months later, Denise was convicted by how she had behaved on the trip And she went back to her white counterpart and said, you know, Jennifer, you took responsibility for the problems on the trip. But really, it was my fault. And to the praise and glory of God, they reconciled. Now, I love sermon stories that end right there. (laughs) But Raleigh went on. But there were two casualties from that episode. Two white friends of Jennifer had watched at a distance what had happened, and their conclusion was the black pastor is showing favoritism to Denise because she's black. But rather than come to the table with their grievance, they just left the church. I discovered their feelings only after they were gone. I want us to pause for just a moment and consider these two young women who just left that church. When they came to Rock Church, they were filled with dreams. Like, finally, a church in our city that's taking race seriously, where we can come together from different backgrounds and live together in perfect harmony. That is amazing. Lofty dreams. And then that dream balloon hit the pointy needle of reality and the pieces fell to the ground and these two young Christians, now disillusioned, left their church. I wonder if something similar has at some point happened to you. Uh, Where the church looks so good, it seems so good, maybe you talked with the pastor about all you could get involved in or lead, but what started as dream... (laughs) Ended up as disillusioned. Well, friends, this is such an important topic for every one of us here because if you and I are going to stay in a church for any length of time, we've got to get clear in our minds and hearts about this. What do I do with my dreams for this church? And what do I do with my disillusionment about this church? So my hope in this message is to give you some insight, some, some help, and so that each one of us can not only survive church life, but thrive in it. Thrive in it. So let's go on a field trip tonight and visit two Christian communities. The first one is one of the first churches ever. It's in the imperial capital of Rome, and the church there is divided into two factions. There's us, and there's the them. Them and us, okay? And each group is looking down on the other one. So uh, let's let's give you the players here. Each group has a different dream for what this church should be here, this Christian Assembly in Rome. On the one side of the room are the Jewish believers in Jesus. Okay, so they grew up eating kosher, never eating with people who didn't. They dream of a church that's like a synagogue with the prayer shawls, the Sabbaths, the kosher meals, only now Yeshua, the Messiah, crowns that glorious heritage as the people of God. And on the other side of the room from them are the non-Jews, the people who grew up with all the pagan gods like Zeus and Athena, and they've eaten meat that was sacrificed to idols their whole life, that was no big deal and they've lived without a whole lot of sexual restraint and so they dream of a church without a whole lot of rules Christ came to set us free and now those two groups are in the same church each with a dream for what this church should be it's like two builders on a worksite with two different <laughs> sets of blueprints for the house and so those two competing dreams mean that the fellowship is not so dreamy the Jews look down on the Gentiles as kind of wild and disrespectful to the ways of God They don't really have a clue. And the Gentiles look down on the Jews as like, you're uptight. You're rule-bound. What are you, reluctant to let anybody really believe in Christian freedom? In the words of Scott McKnight and Becky Castle Miller, quote, this is not just a theological disagreement. It's ripping apart this faith community. And because some of the main conflicts are about food laws, this makes shared meals between the two groups almost impossible. So good luck with the potluck. (laughs) So you get a feel for these dueling dreams when you read Paul's letter to the Romans. I'll, I'll just quote a little from chapter 14. Those of you who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. Those who eat any kind of food they do so to honor the Lord since they give thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods, well, guess what? They also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. And so Paul ends with this. He says, why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we'll all stand before the judgment seat of God. Now notice how Paul concludes this little section. He says, we'll all stand before the judgment seat of God. And here Paul is teaching them, and he's teaching us what holds a church together. What holds a church together is not this group's dream of what it should be, and it's not that group's dream of what it should be, and it's not even some sort of common dream that accommodates or lowest common denominators both of the groups. It's Jesus. Jesus. The one thing that holds a church together is that you're a sinner and I'm a sinner. I need Jesus, you need Jesus. We, you will stand before the judgment seat of God and so will I. And so like Paul starts Romans trying to build this sense of unity all about that. The first chapters, he's saying, no one is righteous. No, not one. Not you Jews, not you Gentiles. But now God's shown us a way to be made right with him by placing our faith in Jesus Christ and this is true for everyone who believes no matter who they are all right so to explain this just a little more clearly I have here this uh, bike wheel and I've always thought bike wheels were kind of funny it doesn't look like you should be able to put your entire weight on this thing it's got too much air and these spokes are real teeny like they're like the kind of thing you get at like your dry cleaner when they give you the hanger and yet this thing totally works it totally holds together now uh what does that is this part right here the hub all these spokes connect into the hub they don't connect into each other they connect to the hub and through the hub they connect to the others and so imagine this is the church and the sport the spokes are you and me just kind of we're all weak we're all vulnerable and uh and what and paul is saying is what holds the church together right here is, is not your dream for what this church should be and it's not their their dream of what the church should be it's jesus in christ all things hold together but what can happen in a church is that we want to have the church hold together based on our vision and hope and longings and expectation let's call it a dream for what this church can be and so at this point my nephew's going to really regret loaning me his bike tire but um, so we kind of come along here and just kind of snip out the hub of Jesus which God has installed as what holds the church together and then we kind of want to hot glue in our dream for this church okay okay like at, at, at Rock of Our Salvation Church, the dream of those two young ladies who left was a church of racial harmony. And they could stay as long as that dream was being realized without a, not, a lot of discomfort on their part. But as soon as the reality hit, where guess what? You're gonna have to grow and stretch too. Then there was nothing left in that church for them, so they had to leave. In Rome, the dream was this Jewish-friendly church or the Gentile-friendly church, and Paul doesn't even give them the Jewish and Gentile-friendly church as a dream to hold them together, even though that's where he's working them toward. He's saying what holds you together is every one of us is a sinner. Every one of us holds together because we're all connected to Jesus Christ. Now, friends, this sounds like a fine theological point, but it makes a huge difference in how any one of us would experience a church. And to explain that and what I mean by that, let's move to another Christian community, which is a small seminary class trying to avoid being noticed by the Gestapo during World War II, or the lead-up to it. The year is 1935, when some of you here were alive. And the leader of this sort of seminary trying not to attract attention is a young Lutheran pastor named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And Bonhoeffer's got this vision that before it's too late, he wants to train up the next generation of pastors, pastors who are not going to bow the knee to the God and country movement of the National Socialist Party that is now in charge of the country. And so he teaches these young future pastors. And he teaches them these four words, and I got to say, when I first read them here on page 27, they took my breath away. God hates visionary dreaming. God hates, <laughs> I, I had to read it again. He said, he said, that, that can't be right. The translator had problems. God hates visionary dreaming. Because to me, as an American, that does not make any sense at all. We love visions, man. I've read books on vision and gone to conferences on vision and visionary leadership and how you do all that kind of thing. And wow, do we love dreams. Karen and i were in disney world a week ago and they're not doing the parades because of covid but they do the the fireworks at the end of the day in the magic kingdom and they've you stand by cinderella's castle which has been repainted and they have these amazing projections that are exact outline of the castle so it's like the castle becomes the screen so as you're looking at the castle all of a sudden ariel swims up the side of the castle and you hear the music from little mermaid and the entire show is let the dream within you come out you know there's magic and wishes and dreams come true and it all depends on you and you can have this glorious life as long as you're true to yourself and you live out your dream and you we went out there like and there were fireworks and music was amazing and we left out of there so happy we're like dreams are the magic of life So then we come to church and we go, well, what could possibly be wrong with bringing a dream of what this church could be into the church? Because that's not what holds the church together. As Paul taught the Christians in Rome and as Bonhoeffer's teaching these seminary students in Nazi Germany, it can only ever be Jesus Christ. So let's sit in on the seminar and listen to Pastor Bonhoeffer teach. Christianity means community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ Christ. No Christian community is more than this or less than this. We belong to one another only through and in Jesus Christ. He says, without Christ, we could never know our brother. So imagine you're this spoke, and your brother or sister in the church is this spoke. You don't even connect to them. He says, we can't know our brother without Christ, and we can't come to him because the way is blocked by our own ego. Isn't that interesting? Only in Jesus Christ are we one. You've got to go into the hub before you can connect to this other person. And only through him are we bound together. Now, when the church has Jesus as what holds it together and all of us are just sinners who need him, then what happens? This is the big reason why this all matters right here. Bonhoeffer tells us, then we enter into that common life not as demanders, but as thankful recipients. I'm just glad I get to be in a place where I can worship with other other Christians. A lot of Christians in the world can't even do that. I'm just glad that you know Jesus too. I'm glad you're a sinner like me too because I need prayer and you do too. That's what binds you together. Now, whenever someone comes into a church, and let me say clearly, pastors are the worst offender here, and brings the dream of what this church should be, bad stuff happens. I was talking with a friend of mine who lives out of state and she was a member at a church that was smaller, older, and they had a few young families. And she said it was a very gentle and loving church. So for the sake of the story, I'll call it First Church. And a new senior pastor came who had this dream. We're gonna make First Church college friendly because it happened to be not too far from the university. So he changed the music right away, brought in the drums and the horns. um, And then of course he remodeled the interior of the church. And then um, first church was kind of a homey church. They had potlucks once a month. So he stopped those as being kind of too old school. And then one thing the church did every year was hold this huge community garage sale where it was take what you need, give what you have. And it was a great way they met the neighbors. And actually some people met church members there and ultimately came, started coming to the church. But uh, the pastor stopped that because that took too much time and the church's connection to the community was through him. He was going to connect with students as he went on campus which, which he did. So what happened at First Church? I asked her. She said well about 30 students started coming which was, which was great. Intriguingly though First Church lost its young families first. Then the older people uh, they they didn't know what to do they were not gossips and they didn't want to be troublemakers but they just in fact they had built the church's building and they still did the lawn care for it so they they couldn't imagine not being there but they were just confused well finally the pastor wanted to cut down this row of hundred year old trees on the property so that people driving by could see the church building better and that was their limit so they finally said no well as you could imagine or predict finances finally got tough in the church and um so then the senior pastor merged them with another congregation that needed a building had more people and they did that kind of thing and as part of the merger the name of the church was changed and then six months later this pastor resigned and my friend told me she said i just feel so bad for these original members their whole church was taken away. Some of them don't even go to church anymore. And I, I felt physically sick to my stomach when I heard that story. I was like, this guy has done violence to what really holds a church together, which is Jesus. <laughs> and he's come in and totally neglected the fact that Jesus has been in work at this church much longer than he's been alive. And he didn't like or love what Jesus had been doing in that church. And it's all, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer tells us, visionary dreaming makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. The man who fashions a visionary ideal of community demands that it be realized. He enters the community of Christians with his demands, and he acts as if he's the creator of the Christian community. Have you ever been in or around a church like this? Does it frighten you that so many churches go to conferences to learn this? (laughs) And then when things don't go his way, he becomes an accuser of his brethren, then an accuser of God, and finally the despairing accuser of himself. Oh, friends, we think dreams are good, disillusionment horrible. At church, it's just the opposite. So what? What do we take away tonight, so that you and I really can survive and thrive in whatever local church that uh, we belong in? Well. This is not to say there are never valid reasons to leave a church. Of course there are. I'm not saying that. Um, But here's what I am saying. What do we do with our dreams of what this church should be, can be? Let them die. I really mean that. Bonhoeffer says every human wish dream that is injected into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community. And so what do we do with our disillusionment? It's painful, but we thank God for it. And here's why in his words, the serious Christian set down for the first time in a Christian community is likely to bring with him a very definite idea of what Christian life together should be and try to realize it. But God's grace speedily shatters such dreams. So now this is where the good news though comes in. Disillusionment, is a gift from God. It's the grace of God to help us realize the only way you and I are ever going to stay connected is through Jesus. We have not enough to hold us in common otherwise. Now, I have to say, he says, we must be overwhelmed by a great disillusionment with others, with Christians in general, and if we are fortunate with ourselves. Have you been disillusioned with Christians in general? been disillusioned with a denomination, been disillusioned with a particular church, been disillusioned with a particular leader. I don't want to be glib about this. This is super painful. When I was in my 30s and lived through a a really bad church split, I just about jumped off the cliff and said goodbye to church forever. I knew I, I just didn't think I had it in me to go through one more like that. But now I'm so glad I didn't. Because now when I walk in, it's like, you're a sinner, I already know that. (laughs) So it doesn't mean that you give everybody a pass for behaving badly, but it means that I realize I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, that's why we're here. It's just really about Jesus. And disillusionment leads us back into the only hub that'll hold us together. Like I love our mission statement here at Savior. Loving God, loving others, loving life, But, you know, that is not going to hold us together. Some days we will really flourish in how we go about that. And other days, guess what? We will fail at our best attempts to love others and to love God and love life. So we don't need that to hold us together, though. And you don't need my dream as the pastor to hold us together or the next pastor's dream to hold us together or whatever. Because Jesus holds us together. See, not long from now, we're going to come up to this table, which is Jesus' table. He sets it. He invites you. And we all come up with our hands stretched out like beggars on a bread line. Because we're starving for grace. We're starving for Jesus. And that's what holds a church together. Amen.